Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we're meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. Our God in heaven, we thank you for this day that you've given to us and for the opportunity just to come together a little early uh, to think about uh, the way in which we uh, do church here at Soli and how we might participate a little bit more faithfully. I pray that you'd help us in every way to help our children understand their place uh, in the church, in the body of Christ, and the way in which they might be able uh, to participate uh, in it. So bless this time, we pray. Bless those who will be coming to church um, as well later on, and those who are traveling. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. All right, I want to start just by, if you have your liturgy, that's great. If you don't, I just want to remind us be, of why we do what we do here. Chris kind of covered that already, but I just want to work my way through it again. So we, we use a liturgy that is structured according to a structure that's all over the Bible. And so this structure is in Genesis, it's in Leviticus, it's in the Psalms, it's in Isaiah, it's in Hebrews, it's in the book of Revelation. It's a discernible pattern. Okay, that without God coming out and saying, do it this way, God has come out and shown us that this is the way he would have it done. That at least it roll, it moves through this form or this shape. And that first, we, we do what we call them the five C's here at Soli. The first is God calls us. And so God is the one who summons us. God is the one who calls us and he calls us to come together in his presence. When we come into the presence of the Lord, we are reminded that we are falling short of the glory of God. And so we need cleansing. And that's the second C is we need to deal with our sins. We need to deal with broken fellowship. And so we move through a time of confession and cleansing that takes place. And that's what we, that's the second C. Out of there, we move into a time of what's called consecration, where God sanctifies us by his word. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. And so after we've been cleansed and after we've confessed our sin, we have the word of God read, the word of God preached, and that consecrates us and sets us aside and makes us holy. And then out of that is a meal. Okay, it's, it follows a meal. After that word that consecrates us, we're ready to sit down at the table and participate in communion, which is the fourth C. And so we have that time of communion, that fellowship, that table fellowship together, whereby we receive all that Christ is for us. And it's an abundance, as we'll see in the story of Ruth today. We always leave, like Ruth did, with more than, our, than just for ourselves, hence the commission to go out and to take what we have received and take it into uh, the world for those who desperately need the over and above, like Naomi needed what Ruth had left over when she came home after the time 
with Boaz. And so all of that kind of comes together. And by the way, this structure also is in the book of Ruth as well. You could actually discern and find this pattern in the, in the way in which Boaz and Ruth relate to one another, but we're, um, I'm leaving that out uh, for right now. So when it comes to children, okay, uh, a couple of things about, about children and worship. So solely is unique among churches in many ways, at least locally. Uh, I'm not saying better than, less than, I'm just saying unique, okay, to that. And unique in the sense that we actually, though we have a solely school right now, which is a good and healthy thing for us to do, we do not separate our children or our youth out into their own places during the corporate worship service. And the reason for that is, is number one, we believe that children belong in the worship service, okay? And so the first conviction that we have to have if we're gonna help our children participate in this is we have to have the conviction that they belong here, okay? That, that this is the place where the Lord wants them. And I'll unfold that in a couple of different, why is it that we have to have the conviction that children belong in the covenant renewal service? Well, the first is this, Jesus has promised to be here, okay? We already have a promise of Jesus that he has promised to dwell in the gathering, okay? Secondly, we have the promise of Jesus that the children belong to the kingdom. Thirdly, we have Jesus saying, let the children come to me, okay? So Jesus wants the children near him, he wants the children with him, and that he's promised to be here in the service, okay? So why in the world would we take the children whom Jesus says, let the children come to me, and remove them from the place where Jesus has actually promised to be for God's people, okay? So that, that doesn't make any sense. So if Jesus has promised to be among us, and he wants the children close to him, then it's simply wise for us to place them where Jesus is, which is in the means of grace that he has promised to be in, in the service of the church. In other words, there's no substitute for this gathering. This gathering cannot take place elsewhere. The other things that take place elsewhere are good. Bible studies, small groups, solely schools, men's gathering, ladies' prayer groups. All of those are great things. All of those are important things, and the Lord is present in those places as well, but not in the way in which he has promised to be present there, okay? And we recognize different places of presence and different relational issues all around our very lives. And so we recognize that that. So there's no substitute for the promises that Jesus attaches to his gathering Hence the children being moved into the place where he has promised to be and where he has promised to work and where he has promised to show himself, where he has promised to save and where he has promised to sanctify. So we have to believe, firstly, that children belong where Jesus has promised to be. Secondly, not only do we have to believe that children should be here, secondly, we need to believe that children can be here, okay? So they not only should be, but they can be, okay? Now, this is important. They can be here, okay, because the liturgy is doable for children, okay? The liturgy is doable for children. Because the liturgy requires participation, okay, because it requires participation, children can do it because children can learn their parts, okay? We know this. Because children learn their parts 
in, in all areas of life, okay? They learn how to sing songs. They learn how to participate in plays and dramas. They learn how to read. They learn how to write. They learn how to participate in their, in fact, that's what education is. That's what raising children is, is learning how to participate in God's world, God's way, okay? And so the liturgy is training for that, and that is training for liturgy. It feeds a loop. It feeds back on itself. It's, it's doable for children. They can do it because there are parts for them to play in the worship service, just like there are parts for you and I to play in the worship service. Now, saying that, having the conviction that children belong, and saying that children can do it, is not a confession that this is easy, okay? So this is not me standing up here from a distance saying this was all easy, okay? So this one here, who is training her children now to come into the worship service, was one who we had to go through it with her as well. Um, and despite all appearances to the contrary, Jordan did have a little bit of sin in her life uh, when she was a youngster. And when we brought her in to the worship service, she was feisty like her mother is, um, and me, <laughs> feisty like, hey, you always like being called feisty. Um, and there would be many times in a worship service when Jordan just decided that, that it was time for her to just do whatever she wanted to do. Um, and so I would be in the middle of a sermon and have to just do this. And then Teresa would go, and she'd go, for 15 seconds and then we, you, know, you get it, okay? It's not easy, but it's worth it and it's doable because eventually she learned her parts and eventually she came to see these are my people and eventually it became a way of life for her, but it was okay. Training is training and we all have to do it. So it's not gonna be easy. It is hard, especially when they're young. And when they're very, very young, and again, I'm saying this for a lot for you know what's happening with respect to the recording, um, the sermons are a challenge. And I'll talk about that near the end a little bit. The, the sermons are probably the most challenging part because they're the longest part of the service that require attentiveness, focus, and, and, and non-distraction. So they, we recognize that. So at Soli, we are trying intentionally as pastors to keep our sermons 40 and down on purpose um, and not glorify and say, we preach for an hour and 10 minutes here like the Puritans. Yeah, we, you know, we're not trying to do that. Um, we recognize those challenges that are there. But, but when it comes down to the children and the sermons, just a couple things here, then a couple things later. The first is, when they're really, really small, uh, one, two, heading into three, you have to share the responsibility as husbands and wives. That's just the first thing, okay? The second thing is, um, especially dads have to really step up during that time. Um, and uh, there, are, there might be a season in your life when you're training your children for worship in which you don't really get most of the sermon as a dad, um, but your wife does. And she shares it with you later. Now with all the recordings, you can listen to it later. Um, but, but ultimately, the brunt of the responsibility does fall on the father um, to help train the children here. It shouldn't be handed over to the wife to do the bulk um, of that. It is it, Fathers, raise your children in the nurture and admonition 
of the Lord. And so um, oftentimes it's really good for a father to recognize the wife who's been grinding at home all week long. Be nice for her to be able to just participate fully in a worship service and have that rest that comes uh, with that. So you guys can figure that out on your own, but shared at minimum, dad, if it leans in a direction, uh, dad, okay? This leads to the, to the next point, and it's just really straightforward. Participation in liturgy by children will not happen if it is, if it is only done here, okay? In other words, if the only time that this type of thing happens for your children is now, it's not going to work. Okay? In order for this to work the way it's supposed to work, there has to be some type of regular family gathering at home, some type of regular family worship at home, even if it's small, even if it's short, even if it starts at five minutes and moves to 10 minutes and never gets past 12 minutes. If there's a regular rhythm in the home that includes some of what takes place on Sundays, then that trains the children for that and what happens on Sunday is not so jarring. Okay, it can be jarring to have this type of expectation requirement only one time a week. And so that's one of the reasons why I've asked Pastor John to start publishing the liturgy during the week early so that you guys can access it, print it out, or use it uh, so that you're, you're all, you can be in advance of that. And, and so it's available now for families in advance to get their children ready, um, ready for that. And I know this is a challenge. I know this is, uh, this is hard. Um, but it comes back to the believability uh, in terms of whether or not our children will participate. Um, I, I've been in a home. I, I used to travel to a ministerial conference every year, and I would stay in a home um, I can tell you some spectacular stories. The man is like 5'5", five, five, and his wife is like 6'4". It's spectacular to watch them come in a room. She's Dutch. Um, she's this Dutch amazing woman, like 6'4". She's the kind of woman that she goes into the bedroom, has a baby, comes out and cooks dinner. I mean, all of her births are home births. She does them herself. I mean, it's just, it's that kind of non thing you would think is totally fiction. Um, I know because she's had a baby one day and I've been staying at her house and she cooked a meal for us the next. I mean, I've been there for that scenario. They've got seven kids um, and, uh, and every Sunday morning, they actually get up early enough uh, with seven kids from all the way this to this. They have a family breakfast um, and the dad has the church's liturgy. And before they go to church, he works his way through the liturgy and prepares his children for what they're about to participate in that day. He goes over the scripture readings with them so that they are ready for that, tells them a little bit about what the sermon passage is about so they can be familiar with that. And, and it takes about 10 minutes only, 10 minutes of the breakfast time on a Sunday. Now, again, I know Sundays are attack points in the home. I get all that. Um, I'm just saying, I. I had one kid and, you know, we, 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 we tried these practices with her. I didn't have seven, so I didn't have four. I didn't have that, but I've seen it done before and it can be done before. And then I watched these children go to church and I watched them participate. Like, this is my, these are my people. I'm a part of this and they sing when it's time to sing and they listen when it's time to listen. They recite when it's time to recite and they respond when it's time to respond. So it can be done. Um, and I've seen it done, but it can't start in church. It has to start at home. 
It has to be in miniature somewhere else so that it can be on a larger scale here. And that brings me to one of the things that I think is important about the liturgy itself, and that is that this is one of the advantages with the repetition that takes place in the liturgy, okay? This is one of the advantages of what we call the ordinaries, the things in the liturgy that never change, okay? Now, there's a lot of debate on that. There is a danger because there are in the liturgies what we call the ordinaries, the things that will be there every week no matter what Sunday it is. Of course there's the danger of it being rote. Of course there's a danger of being an ism, just going through the motions. Of course there is that danger, and we always have to tune ourselves up, and as a church, as pastors, we need to tune you guys up. You guys need to self-tune to make sure that we're believing everything that it is that we're going through, and that it all has a significance, it all has an importance, and that the ordinaries are there just not to fill space. They mean something, they accomplish something, and they're vital, and they're there for a reason, okay? And so every one of the ordinaries are there for a reason, and I'll talk about that for a moment. But one of the things that is true about that is the ordinaries are something you can count on. Your kids can count on them being the same every week. So our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth is something that your child can count on every week. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord is something that your children can count on every week. These are the gifts of God for the people of God, thanks be to the Lord, that's something your children can count on every week. The creed is something your children can count on every week. The prayer of confession, the reason why it doesn't change very much is that something they can learn to pray from their hearts every week, okay? Uh, and when it starts, they can kick in and go. So the ordinaries are there in part, because we're all children. <laughs> the ordinaries are there in part to make it easy on the children to know and go. And listen, I'm just gonna be honest with you about this. I do a modified version of this liturgy with 450 kids every week, okay? Every day, every week. Okay, so K through five and six through 12. Every day, um, there's, there's, we do this. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Boom, hands go up, doxology. Boom, Lord's prayer prayed every day. So I know kids can do it with gusto. I know kids can do it from memory um, because our kids, when we have electrical issues at our school, or we have tech, now that we have Tristan, we don't really have tech issues. But let's just say that Tristan hit his head one day, and we did have a tech issue, uh, but I have Jordan on the upper campus, so I don't have tech issues. But in the past, I've had a lot of tech issues. Okay, guess what? The kids don't need it, right? Kids don't need it. So if we showed up on Sunday, and someone stole these, you should be okay. You should be able to hear, because you've done it so many times, if I said our help is in the name of the Lord, you should be able to go. Now, I do understand this is a bit longer, and we've been having, and the elders have been having conversations with me about returning to the Apostles' Creed because they can't read this out loud on a Sunday. It seems like, uh, so I don't, I don't know. They, they, they always get uh, Jeremy always forgets Catholic. Somebody always gets stuck in the middle, and they always blame me. I don't know why. I don't know what the problem is. What I, I didn't write this creed, by the way. Uh, I just it came from Nicaea. Uh, so, anyways, if you, if you see the Apostles come back, it's because I got overruled. Um, but the fact that the Apostles' Creed is easier to memorize. But the point here is, the ordinaries are there. They are always there. 
They're never really going to change. They get a little modified during Advent and Lent, but that's it. So that means children can, they can engage if they're required to engage and expected to engage and encouraged to engage. They, they know this stuff. So it's there for them, and in many ways it's fitting for them, okay? In the liturgy, we have fitting words that are put in our mouths for faithful participation, okay? We have fitting words that are put in our mouth for faithful participation in the liturgy. And every one of them, let me just, let me just do this real quick. So our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth is the way we start the worship service because it's a confession of our neediness. It's there for a reason. It's Psalm 124 verse 8. It's a confession at the beginning of the worship service that without the Lord we are nothing and we need his help so desperately. What we call the sursum corda, which is the lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. That's after the confession of sin and after the cleansing on purpose, because now we have clean hands and a pure heart. And so now our heart, after being cleansed, washed and having sung a little bit, our heart's primed to lift itself to the Lord. So that's why that's there where it is. These are the gifts of God for the people of God is self-explanatory. We're before the gifts of God for the people of God. And so every single one of the ordinaries is where it is in the liturgy for a reason, okay? It's not just put there as filler, okay? And so when your children are participating in that, they're moving through that. And the reason they stay the same is so that your children don't have to learn a new dance step every time they come to church. It's waiting for them to be able to participate, okay? Now, just for you all, well, some people who come in from a non-liturgical setting into a liturgical setting have a really hard time with the idea of somebody putting something rote in your mouth that didn't come from your own heart, okay? Um, and that's a legitimate thing to ask, okay? Why is it that, that when I come to church on Sunday, somebody's putting words in my mouth, someone's putting responses in my mouth um, that I may or may not be feeling, I may or may not want to say at that time, I may or may not be connected with at that time, and why is, why is there no expression for me, okay? Um, Chris covered this a little bit in his talk about why communion is done this way at this church versus turning the lights off and you go up when you want and things like that. Here's, here's, the, here's the bigger answer to that, okay? The bigger answer to all that, and I think Chris covered this in his talk as well, but I want to reinforce that. The reason for all of this is because when we gather together, it is not about me, it is about we. That's why, okay? You have six days of me, okay? Hopefully you're exhausted of me right? Hopefully you're a little exhausted of you, okay? So when we come together then, this, this is a day of we, not me. And so the reason why you need words put in your mouth and I need words put in my mouth is that we need words put in our mouth. We need a script put in our mouth so we can act together as one people, one voice, one bride of Christ before him and not just me when I want, how I want, and an extension of the individualism of the day. So that's one of the reasons why these things are so important. That's one of the reasons why they're important for your children because it helps your children identify with the we. That, hey, we are a part of the we and this is about us, not just about me at this time. So you have plenty of time in your car, your devotions, your quiet time, all of that to listen to whatever music you want 
play whatever music you want, sing whatever music you want, read whatever you want, confess whatever you want, pray whatever you want. But when we gather together here, we need to have a script because it's a group of people coming together saying something together. So that, that's important that we understand that. But that there is a script then requires participation. That there is a script means that children can participate because the script doesn't change. The ordinaries remain the same. The songs change. The scripture reading changes. The sermon hopefully changes. But outside of that, that's three small changes a week. And inside of that, you normally have a canon that you sing and a familiarity with scripture. So really, it ought to be really somewhat comfortable um, to do this. Something like going to grandma's house to do this because you know the dance, you know the place, you know that kind um, of a thing. So the goal is participation for our children, which is why the ordinaries are there. So if children are baptized, trained, and ready, most of the service is going to be participation for them. Okay? We don't have the kind of service here at Soli where you sit down and other people do the worship for you. Our church here is not entertainment at Soli, where you can sit down, literally do nothing, have all of the, lit by the way, liturgia, you know what the word means? Work of the people. <laughs> Work of the people, okay? So a liturgy is you working, your children working at it, okay? But if you go to a church where everything is done for you on the stage, and you sit and watch a performance of other people do all the liturgical action for you, it's not worship, it's entertainment. But when it's the work of the people, where you have to engage and participate, and it costs you something, and it costs me something, um, and it costs your children something. That's liturgia, that's the work of the people. And so you, sh you and I should be requiring our children to do that very um, work. By the way, there's plenty of entertainment in the world for our children, okay? They don't need that, that entertainment extended here, okay? All right, let's talk about listening to the sermon um, a little bit. Obviously, listening to a 35 to 40 minute sermon, regardless of how well executed the sermon is or is not, it doesn't matter. Um, that, that to challenge, that, that can't start <laughs> here. If that's the only time that children sit still is the 40 minutes here, it's not gonna work, okay? okay? So we have to in our homes cultivate for our children some sit still time <laughs> during the week. Okay, um, now the best way to do that, to be honest with you, is to sit your children down, do not allow them to have a device, do not allow them to have anything that they can do really with their hands at all, but to put them together for just a little bit and read to them. Just read to your children, okay? That's what you do. Two minutes. Chronicles of Narnia, two minutes. Then five, then 10, then 15 then 20. And if it was Raising Jordan, it'd be finish the book, man, and get on with it. I'd be like, don't stop. <laughs> um, because the stories are so good, depending on what's... So that, that's, that's good training for sitting still and not having to be active, but engaging the mind and the imagination of the children. That's really good training for sit still and listen if we have a home in which we read to our children and they have to sit still and listen for a season. But sitting still does not come naturally to children and we want our children to be active. 
We want them to love to be outside. We want them to love to make mud pies. We want them to love to play in the dirt. We want them to love to have their imagination and create things out of Play-Doh. We want to be able to have all of that. We want to be able to have little construction sites like I do with my grandson, where we build something and then he destroys it. Then I build it again and he destroys it. And we build it again and he destroys it. And we have this big crash and we go save everybody, but then they crash again. We want our children to do that, okay? But we also want our children to understand the value and the importance of quiet, of learning to be attentive, of learning to listen, to be able to pay attention, and to develop those disciplines. And so a family reading time is oftentimes the one chance where we can get to do that, as long as you're not trying to entertain alongside of that um, and or let them have a phone or a pad alongside of that. Then it's just working against that, okay? A couple of other thoughts. Um, Confession of sin should not be something that our children only see in church, okay? Confession of sin should be something that our children regularly see in their home from their mothers and their fathers, from their siblings, and from themselves, okay? The practice of making things right, the practice of repenting, the practice of asking for forgiveness simply should be the way you clean up and keep your family having short accounts with one another. It should simply be the way that it is. You keep short accounts, okay? The example um, that was used in reforming marriage is a great example, okay? If I take one toy out of the closet and put it back before I take another one out, if I practice that model, I can take a thousand toys out in one day and they're all put away at the end of the day because for every one I've taken out, I've put one back. But if I take one toy out a day for a thousand days and never put any one of them back, then I'm gonna come into the room one day and there's gonna be a thousand toys in the room, okay? What's, why, why is that important? Keep short accounts in your household. Make it right fast and do it a thousand times. And your, your house will never have these long, extended um, issues of, of um, bitterness, I guess is what I'm saying. Because um, you just keep them short. You make them fast. Um, and so if, then, then children get used to confessing sin. Okay? We do this at Beacon Hill as a part of our discipline. Okay? It's just Matthew 18. We, we, two students fight. They have to come together, whether it's with myself or, or my brother Denny or Mr. Whitty or whoever, they have to own their sin to one another. They have to make it right. If it was publicly, they might have to make it right publicly. If it was it included a parent, they got to make it right with the parent. Um, uh, then, then we forgive, we wash it. And if there's no consequential issues that need to take place or no restitutional issues involved, it's done. It's over. Move forward, okay? We do that at school. You do that at home. In church, the confession of sin is like, oh, we're, 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 we're just continuing on with the way that we normally live our lives and keeping short accounts, keeping short accounts with God as well. But the difference here is, okay, this is important. The difference here is it's dealing with your personal sin, okay? The sins that you don't share with other people, the sins that you don't confess to other people. And you want to know what the hardest thing in the world is? receiving forgiveness on a Wednesday morning after confessing your sin to God, but not hearing that you're forgiven. It's hard to convince yourself sometimes that you're forgiven, right? 
What do you do? Get out of yourself and declare? I, I, I declare to myself in the name of Jesus that I am forgiven. Well, you might need to do that because faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. But many of us live with this undertone of guilt and this undertone of shame, and our children do too, because we need to have forgiveness declared to us. So that's why Sunday is so important. That time of confession of sin that we do in our liturgy is important because what you're going to have happen to you is you're going to have somebody who's an authorized representative of Jesus Christ, an ordained minister, stand up and declare to you in his name that your sins are forgiven. That's for your faith to feed on. So that's what that, that makes the liturgy unique, but it's also something that should be practiced on a regular basis in our home. The same thing with respect to, to singing. You don't, have, you don't have to have a beautiful voice to train your children uh, to sing well in church. You should have a singing home in some way. You should have, you, sh- you, could, you can sing the church. Listen, we sang the church's songs growing up um, in our home and taught them to Jordan. We sang them around our dinner table. We sang them in our family worship. And I can promise you right now that deep in her gut, Teresa was wishing, I wish David wouldn't sing with us. I mean, it's okay, I get it. I, because the brother, I can't, I have a good voice for speaking, but the brother can't sing. Um, and so I'm all over the, I think I can. Um, I was taught by Sammy Hagar. No, no one seems to make the connection. Um, but she's got a good, you know her voice, you know mine. It's like, why are you contributing? Because I can and I'm supposed to. Um, but the point is, is that we just tried. <laughs> we just tried. Um, and, and so we had a singing home in that way. Um, and, but there's also now you have Alexa. Okay, so you have Alexa, and you can say, Alexa, play John Mink, right? We need to get there. Um, but you get my point, right? You, you have help where you can find most of the songs that we sing in some way, and let, let them be buzzing around your home when you're there during the daytime so that it's in the subconsciousness of your children so that when they do hear it in church, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in, yeah. Um, so that's an easy way uh, to do that, and I think it's really, really helpful as well. I got to wrap up here in uh, two minutes. Um, I actually started five minutes late, but we'll see. Ain't nobody here anyway, so we can just, I can just roll forever. Um, so listen, I want to say all of this is true for teens as well, okay? All this is true for teens as well. Um, our teenagers should not be in a transitional phase as to whether they, when they come to church, uh, I may or may not participate. No, 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 no. Um, our children uh, and our young people and our youth need the same enculturation need to understand their responsibility, their place, their part in the script, the ownership that they have in the life of the church to be participating just like everybody else is. We shouldn't have children participating, adults participating, and teens wandering whether or not they should participate. That should not be the case. Um, So a lot of this stuff has to be practiced in your own home as well, home Bible reading, home worship, even with teenagers. It could be a little deeper, it'll be a little wider. Um, even some home worship was seen. I think that's, that's important um, because what we're after is the robust participation of our children um, and our youth. This is how Christ is formed in them. Okay? This is how Christ is formed in them. This is how they confess their faith. They learn to confess their faith on Sundays. And this is how they take their part um, in the ecclesia. Okay? A couple of other things and I'll wrap. Um, I think it's good to give your children a Bible, a real one, um, like an actual Bible. This is not a Bible, by the way. Mine's over there, but um, uh, this could double as a Bible. Um, it's, it's good. It's good to give your children a Bible and help them learn how to use it, okay? I can tell the difference. I teach a Bible class at Beacon Hill. I have like 80 kids in my Bible classes. 
they're required to bring an actual real Bible to class. They're not allowed to use an electronic version. And when I say turn uh, this week, we were looking at whether or not Lucifer was Lucifer, because um, Lucifer's never actually mentioned in the Bible. Just let that sit on you for a little bit. Um, and so we were discussing that. We were going to the passages that supposedly mentioned Lucifer, and he's not there. Um, uh, uh, but the king of Babylon is, and the king of Tyre is. But that's a different story, different thing. Uh, but I was like, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. 95% of my kids, maybe 98% of my kids, are looking in the table of contents of their Bibles because they've never opened the Bible to the book of Isaiah before. Maybe two to three percent can actually open their Bible and they know the books of the Bible and they can actually find Isaiah. It's a really good thing when you have a Bible preaching church and a Bible teaching church to help your children turn in their Bibles. Um, we're going to be in Ruth 2 today. I'm not leaving Ruth 2. I'm going verse by verse for 23 verses. Let them learn how to roll with that. That'll be helpful um, uh, as well. Um, a couple of other things real quick. Um, John, I started five minutes late, so I'm going until 15 if that's okay. Uh, this is the right place and time for your children uh, to learn how to, uh, how to drink wine appropriately, the gift of wine, okay? This is important. Um, if your children can grow up associating wine with the Lord's table, if it begins in the setting of holiness, if it begins in the setting of the church, and then it moves from there into its other places, rather than starting at some party with forbidden drink and then moving in, I think we would have far less alcohol issues in our day and in the church, and our children would be able to appropriately use that gift rightly. And so we don't withhold wine from children in our church um, uh, because we believe that this is part of the training for living life in an appropriate way. And it's up to you. If you want your children to drink juice or your children don't like the bitterness of wine going down, that's, that's fine. There's no judgment there. But this is an appropriate place to begin to learn how to appropriately use the gifts of God for the people of God. When it came to Jordan, as soon as she was at the Lord's table, as a child, she was, she's, she's drinking wine um, uh, at five years old and has been ever since. Um, and then she learned to associate wine with this. This is, the, this is the, the shape that wine took for her at the beginning of her life. So you know, all that to say, that's something to consider and, and one of the reasons we use uh, wine. A liturgical church is really built for children. We know they can do it, and so I would encourage that. Um, one other thing I would just say, if you're looking for a resource for home worship that's, that's liturgical, it's not our liturgy, but it is 30 days of historic liturgy. There's a book that, that was put out by Crossway last year. It's a hardback, or now it comes in a leatherback. It's called Be Thou My Vision. It's all reformed. It's all prayers from reformers and Puritans and scripture reading. It has the Heidelberg Catechism in it. It's day by day. It's 30 days. I use it for my devotions every day. It has got everything you need. It's got the law. It's got confession of sin. Every day, this has 30 days of some of the deepest, richest material you will ever need for your home, and it's done. You don't have to research any of it. Buy the book. Day one's there. Day two's there. Day three is there. It's a phenomenal resource called Be Thou My Vision by Crossway, and I would encourage you. It can really, really help, and especially as children get older where you're dealing with teens, this is a gold mine of goodness. All right, with that... Real quick, any, I mean, yeah, Mike, go ahead. Right. 
Yeah, I think that's really, really good. So yeah, what we're talking about here is that solely we believe our children are members, the baptized children are members of the church. And so this is really what you're, this is what you're training them and this is what you're inculcating them. And like, look, you are a member of the church. And as a member of the church, this is one of the ways that you participate in the church as a member. It's a membership responsibility. It's not a membership option. It's a membership responsibility. And so there, this way allows you to cultivate the identity of your children as members of the church so that they always and only believe that they always have been members of the church from the very youngest time that they are. And that's who they are. They are, they are members of the ecclesia. That's absolutely, I would agree, that's absolutely vital in every way. Play on that. As you, are a, you are a member of the body of Christ. And this is your, children have two covenant responsibilities, okay? They're two, they're simple. God makes it easy on kids. Worship God, obey mom and dad. That's their covenant responsibilities. In the Lord, those two things. And we are responsible to raise them in that. This is how we train them to worship God. And you have the other side of the training that we talked about the last time in terms of training them for um, honoring and uh, trusting and uh, I mean, obeying mom and dad. So good question. Yeah, excellent. Any other questions real quick? Because I know John's got to get going. All right, good. John, thank you. Good to see you. Everybody, thank you for coming. I hope it was a blessing. I hope it maybe encouraged you with respect to liturgical participation as well. Help you with that. Amen.